This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When we take control of our lives and our destiny. We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. There was a time, and it's not a very long time ago, when Budget Day had a sense of mystery about it. It was, as a political geek, it was my favourite day of the year. You'd be there speculating as to what might happen. You'd be waiting on the speeches, which were at, I think, 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock. And in the newsroom, we'd have about three different forms of recorder going on the speech to grab what the minister was saying. You'd be poised over your notebook, writing down what the minister was saying for fear you'd miss anything and oh it was it was a fun day and many times I spent it in Dublin chasing our own Cork TDs and senators around to get their response to the budget afterwards and to get their predictions of what might be in it beforehand nowadays sure we might as well just ring Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath and tell them not to bother because we know we know what's going on today Um, there's quite a long list of stuff goodies coming out this morning and it looks as if it is going to be on the face of it, and I use that word carefully, on the face of it, a, a generous enough budget. The economy would seem to be recovering at a rate which is somewhat faster than they had expected, which is going to allow them to do things like, OK, put all the welfare payments up by a fiver, give the full Christmas bonus to everybody, increase the fuel allowance. But on the other side of it, the petrol and diesel is going to go up, the fags are going to go up. There's a big package on the way for childcare and a big package on the way for carers and who can access the carers' allowance. That's all coming. Let's go to Dublin and join Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the Irish Sun. Adam, good morning. 
Good morning. Budget day has changed, Adam. There was a time when we didn't know anything until the minister stood up. Now we pretty much know it all. Will there be any surprises this afternoon? I actually have a feeling there might be one or two surprises. Um, we've seen some of the the lines that are going to come out in the budget trailed quite early this year, for almost a, a week or two when the Thomas has started speaking about the changes to the income tax bans that will see people get more money from their wages. But uh, last night, I think there was a surprise when uh, people started getting wind of this change that Minister um, Eamon Ryan is pushing for over €25 million Euro to let young people get 50% off their public transport. Mm. So that's people aged up to 24. So, I mean, there is was some surprises yesterday. There was 800, 800 new Gardaí as well, 8,000 new healthcare staff. Some surprises coming out yesterday. And I'd expect one or two more today. Yeah, extra money for mental health seems to be in there. Free GP care. They can't decide whether it's for the under sevens or the under eights, but it's definitely going up a bit. Free contraception for women under 25. That's right, yeah. So the healthcare package is quite broad this year and spread out. We know last year there was about €2 billion Euro set aside for the COVID fund. We know that the, the Department of Health didn't spend all that because things didn't get bad as as was predicted. So the government has cut the COVID spending down to €1 billion. And I was speaking to uh, someone in government yesterday who said they kind of hope that the Department of Health doesn't actually spend all that. And we've seen the Department of Health and specifically the HSE overspend year on year when it comes to trying to keep the health service running and I think the idea from the government is that if the HSC overspends this year they can dip into that COVID spending because hopefully they won't need it all. One of the huge issues before the last election Adam was carers and the plight of family home carers in particular. There's a lot of change coming there. It'll have to be broken down but it looks like a lot more people will become eligible. 100% and you'd see that back when um the COVID uh, campaigns were at their worst and you've seen Sinn Féin gain a lot of ground by backing carers who wanted to get vaccinated earlier up the queue. And so you've seen them gain a lot of political points there. I think the government is trying to win back some of that support. So they're increasing the carers' allowance by €5 Euro a week. But not only doing that, they're also expanding that scheme massively to allow more carers fall into the net because we know that that allowance is actually means-tested. So there's a lot of, say... Um, a mother who looks after, who has to look after their child and can't work, and her husband might earn enough to keep them outside that uh, scheme. But now she's going to fall into it as part of this massive expansion. Now, Adam, we're in a, a, a time of increasing energy prices. Petrol and diesel are already ridiculously expensive, heading towards 170 a litre. But they are going to go up again because of carbon tax. They are indeed. So you're probably looking at about 130 on your tank of petrol and 150 on your tank of diesel. That's kind of been well flagged because we know that that carbon tax has to go up €7.50 a year as part of the bill that the government introduced a couple of years ago. Now, to offset that, we know that the government are trying to... There was negotiations going on late last night to offset the fuel allowance. So that's when it comes to your home energy bills. So they wanted to try to balance this carbon price that we know people are going to get hit with. And the fuel allowance is due to go up to five, up by five euro a week, but it's also going to be expanded so that more families and households can fall into that net and avail of it. One of the things that we that has changed in that we now know about what will be in the budget hours before it's it's published is that the opposition spokespeople are already writing their speeches based on what's in the morning papers. So what kind of things, Adam, do you think they'll jump on in the budget this afternoon? I think something that you might see um, the opposition 
question is why the government isn't going further. And I know we've spoken about some measures there across the board, social welfare, five euro, things like that. But we know there has been calls for, like, say, for example, the pension to go up by 10 euro. And earlier last week on Friday night, the government produced a white paper, which kind of outlines the financial situation the country is in at the moment before the budget is announced. And the government had been predicting all year that we would be 20 billion euro in the red, that we'd spend 20 billion euro more than we'd bring in this year in the deficit. But in fact, that deficit is, is has been revised down to 13 billion. So arguably, there's 7 billion euro there to play with. Now, the government has said they're not touching that. They want to wind down that deficit quicker than expected so that we can get back into the green and stop spending money that we haven't got. Now, I think you might see the opposition target that situation there and say, now is the time, while they can borrow low from from the rest of the markets, mm. now is the time to spend big. Let's fix things like housing. Let's fix things like health. Let's fix the situation around the pension and social welfare to bring them past that cost of living. And I think people might target that and say, you could have done more here. Because clearly, and I'm, I'm sure we... The way it happens these days, of course, for the benefit of listeners is the Pascal Donoghue will send out first and explain to us the state of the economy and where the books are. And then Michael McGrath will stand up and explain what what money will be spent on what. But is it fair to analyse, Adam, that the economy is in a better shape than they thought it might be? Yes, 100%. It's definitely in a better shape than they thought they might be. They thought they'd already have spent 20 billion euro. A lot of that was, you know, COVID spending and situations around COVID. But also what's bounced back is the economy has come roaring back since the restrictions have opened. And you have to remember, we're not even fully reopened yet. And we're still a week or two away from the likes of nightclubs and restaurants getting to open fully. But even despite this, the restrictions that still remain in place, people are spending money. The economy is coming back. You can see... In, in town, if you walk around, there's, there's staff wanted signs up on almost every restaurant and pub you can see. People want to spend their money and they are spending in, in places like pubs. And this is in the run-up to Christmas when no doubt there'll be an even further spend. So the economy is in is flying back. I remember a couple of months ago being at a press conference and Leo Varadkar said he'd hoped that the what they were doing by lifting restrictions and the sports they put in place would see the economy take off like a rocket. And I don't think he's far off. I think that's where we're heading now, especially coming up to Christmas. And the economy is in a much better position than the government could have predicted uh, coming out of this pandemic. All right. Listen, Adam, we'll catch up with you maybe later again in the week. You have a busy, busy day ahead. Thanks for making us your first call this morning. Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the Irish Sun. And have a good budget day, my friend. I miss being in Dublin for the budget. It's one of the things that I miss about this job. I miss going to Dublin for the budget. I used to have the best couple of days of the year up there, just uh, rubbing shoulders with the, with the political machine uh, in, in Leinster House. And if you've never been there, it's, it's an amazing place to be around budget time. It's just, it's like a beehive. It's, it buzzes so much. So what do you got? You get welfare payments up a fiver across the board. Full Christmas bonus will be paid to everybody. A fuel allowance will be going up to offset rising energy prices. That's for those who are entitled to it. The living alone allowance will go up for those who are entitled to it. Now, petrol and diesel will go up in the carbon tax. Already, we're looking at some colossal petrol prices. I only looked at them last night, like 165, 166, 164 for a litre of petrol. It's going to go up again. So will diesel. Cigarettes, we think 50 cents on a pack of 20, which will probably take them over 14 euro. Extra funding for childcare. They're going to bring this, you know, this childcare you get up to the age of three or four. That's coming up to the age of 15, 
apparently. That'll be announced this afternoon. 800 new guards, changes in the carer's allowance, the earning limits, the means test, all that to change, bring lots more people into the eligibility bracket for the carer's allowance. For the under-24s, half-price buses and trains, a special leap card for the under-24s, changes like that in childcare benefit, 800 new workers in healthcare, Uh, Extra money for mental health. There's quite an amount of money set aside for mental health. I wonder, could they find a few quid in that to sort out on a Cora? Just just thinking. Free GP care, which is currently for the under-sixes, going up to the under-sevens or maybe even the under-eights. Now, I know that doctors sometimes have a problem with that because we're not ready for that. We're not prepared for that. We don't have that kind of capacity in our surgeries, but it is what it is. Free contraception. For women under 25, 100 million extra for disability services and the drug scheme. You know, this drug scheme where you don't have a medical card, but if you have to get drugs regularly at the chemist, the threshold after which you don't need to pay is coming down to, I think, 100 a month. That's all being announced this afternoon. No doubt the opposition are looking for the holes in it. And as Adam said, the the prospect that they will jump on is that, well, look, the economy is doing better than you thought as... Donna was saying here yesterday you can borrow money now at practically negative interest rates so the opposition are going to say we should be borrowing more and spending that on houses and healthcare and hospitals and schools and all of that but that's what's coming in the budget this afternoon 1857 and as Adam said possibly, possibly a surprise or two Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Douglas Court Shopping Centre. They've got everything you need and more. Visit douglascourt.ie. Courts 96 FM. Just to tell you, on the programme tomorrow, we will have Public Expenditure Minister Michael McGrath joining us to look on the budget that's just been announced and also speaking to Taoiseach Michal Martin on tomorrow's opinion line. If any questions you'd like me to put to either of them, but particularly to the minister, uh, because he's the one handling the public finances, you can send them in, opinion at 96fm.ie, or send us a WhatsApp voicemail to 083 396 96 96. Michael McGrath joining us in the last hour of the programme tomorrow to go through the budget and pick over the bones, as it were, of what is being announced this afternoon. Also hearing on the tea, on the programme tomorrow from Taoiseach Michal Martins. So any questions for either of those gentlemen, opinion at 96fm.ie or send us a WhatsApp voice message to 083 396 96 96. Now, one of the three big, big issues going into the budget is housing. It's housing, it's healthcare, education, but housing in particular. And a survey that was conducted by taxback.com recently found that housing was the biggest issue for 50% of people in budget 2022. We have all these different housing plans over the years. We've rebuilding Ireland and housing for all. Why is housing 
such a massive issue. I'm joined by John Mark McCaffrey, who's CEO of Threshold. And I'll start with that question, John Mark. Good morning to you. Why is it such a big issue? Why is it the one that just simply won't settle itself? Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and good morning to your listeners. Um, it's uh, such a, a, a thorny issue because it's one, it's complex, and two, um, I guess successive governments have done uh, less than they really should have done over the last 30 years in relation to um, housing provision. Um, there was a time when um, the Irish state did build um, housing, you know, in terms of um, social housing estates in um, cities like Cork and, and, and Limerick and, and, and Dublin. Um, but since the 80s, really, the late 80s, there has been very little um, house building by local authorities. And the voluntary providers, the housing associations are approved housing bodies. Um, they have um, had very small output until relatively recently. Uh, you add to that a kind of a boom and bust economy where house prices um, started to really kind of increase, obviously, in the, in the mid-90s, uh, only to collapse again in the, in the mid-90s, mid to late-90s. Um, and now you have this kind of perfect storm, as it were, of um, house prices uh, rising again. Um, a sluggish house building sector, which mm. um, in which housing seems to be the last thing to be built, even in this recovery. It was things like um, uh, hotels and, and offices that were being built, uh, you know, five, six years ago. And it was only just before COVID that um, house building was really gathering a pace. And then, of course, it paused again. So you have massive demand because you have obviously a growing population and you have smaller households. So there, there, are, there are more... Um, if you like family units looking mm. for looking for housing, um, you have a massive ramp up in the cost or the the price of of owner occupied housing. You have a lack of supply um, of social housing historically over the last thirty years. Yeah, um, and then you have a private rented sector which in which is you know not fit for purpose in the sense that you know landlords are are leaving the sector to some extent um and and people don't have security of, of mm. tenure and indeed uh, as we've seen in threshold have uh, witnessed huge hikes in in rent since mm. about 2013 so there's a whole you know raft of issues facing uh, households and families now was it one of the worst mistakes in our history that the state actually did stop building houses at the rate it used to. I grew up in an Ireland where the state or the local authority, they just built houses. They had all the trades employed. They built and they maintained houses. And I'm sure people were short of housing back then too, but they got them faster. Was it a big mistake to stop, for the state stopped building houses, John Mark? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I think one of the big mistakes was just um, the drop in provision of social housing. Um, and the fact that social housing then just became um, a place where fewer people lived and only on the lowest incomes. Whereas if you look across Europe, um, you know, a lot of people um, of different income uh, levels are, are accessing some kind of social or subsidised housing. Um, and unfortunately, I, I guess it was the recession of the late 80s where there was a fundamental drop in, in so, social housing provision. Now, I, you know, I think this, there's a role for the state in providing housing. There's also a role for, you know, approved housing bodies or housing mm. associations like, you know, Clued, Respond, to a mm. Circle, whoever. Uh, to provide they weren't around well back in the day, I guess. Yeah. Um, but 
all of those, you know, the funding just wasn't there even during the the Celtic Tiger years. You know, um, there was some output, but it was very, very low level compared to the level of demand for for housing generally. And so since the 80s and right through the 90s, there was just a a sense that, look, um, the market will provide um you know if you if you're not eligible for social housing and if you can't afford your own home you know you move into the private rented sector but up until then the private rented sector was almost like a bit of a um you know just a place that a kind of a purgatory that you might pass through on your way through yeah, being a student or your early house, yeah. kind of adulthood yeah. and now it's a place where people rent and stay for a good deal of their lives increasingly and yeah. um, because they can't access uh, uh, owner owner occupied housing and they're not eligible for they're often not eligible for for social housing support so yeah. um that's, I guess, where Threshold comes in in terms of advising and supporting uh, private rented tenants. I've spoken to loads of people uh, over the last couple of years, and particularly recently again, who, who have money uh, put aside, just can't find a place to rent. Like, Is it as simple as just more building? Um, more building is really important, and obviously that forms the backbone of the Housing for All strategy. The minister was very keen to... Uh, you know, uh, show that the the government is committed to the provision of of, of building for home ownership, for social rental, and also for um, a cost rental, and that's all really really important. But building alone isn't enough, and I guess that's where uh, we come in in terms of advising uh, private renters, because you know at least a quarter of our population are living in the private rented sector, and as I mentioned, they're living for a, a, an increasing uh, amount of their lives and. Some may spend the rest of their lives in the private rented sector. And it's about ensuring that that sector is, um, you know, as, uh, uh, you know, as supportive to, to, to families as it possibly can be. Mm-hmm. And that it's a, a, a choice which, you know, isn't seen as, isn't necessarily any more negative than home ownership or, or or social rental but in order to do that you need a number of things so we, we need to look at kind of reforming the housing assistance payment now while it's really positive it's an improvement from rent supplement a lot of people are topping up um their rents on housing assistance payment and that needs to be um uh, changed so that people are, are less financially vulnerable as a result of that mm-hmm. um you know when it comes to say the budget tomorrow investment in homeless prevention um is really important most of the people who find themselves homeless homeless and in homeless services do so because they come from the private rented sector and they're all they're often priced out of the private rented mm-hmm. sector or their landlord selling because they're they're going to they, they say they're going to um, sell their property so it's a vulnerable um tenure um and and obviously with covid um there are rent arrears that have built up um and there's the scope for a rent arrears fund we believe to support both tenants and landlords okay. um so, you know, a number of other areas that we've highlighted recently are the introduction of tax measures to retain small landlords, because the vast majority of people uh, who live in the private rented sector, they rent from landlords with only one or two properties. Um, and we understand that, you know, some of those landlords are leaving the sector. And if there are ways to incentivize the provision of long term uh, leasing agreements for those landlords, we would welcome that. Um, also, um, what we found, and, and we've done some work jointly with the Society of St Vincent of Wall, is that um, the, the the kind of coldest, dampest homes across the country tend to be found 
uh, are more likely to be found in the private rented sector. Mm -hmm. And um, while there is a commitment by government to ensure that um, only uh, private rented dwellings with a, a you know a higher BER rating are, are let by about 2025, just stipulating that without providing supports mm -hmm. for landlords to to renov to um, do. Um, uh, Retrofit and, rent and renovate it, It'll make things worse rather, rather than yeah. better. The other big problem we have, and I know we have it here in Cork, and I'm sure it's all over the country too, is literally dozens of places empty and boarded up and going derelict. And one thing in particular also, John Mark, the huge amount of time it takes to turn over a council apartment or a council house. If I leave my council house in perfect condition on Friday at five o'clock, it could be 12 months before that gets allocated again. Correct, yeah. I mean, there's, there's two, two things there. One is just how we treat um, empty homes. Now, now, some of them might be because they're, they're subject to probate, you know, they're subject to kind of legal uh, um, processes. But, but others are, are just derelict. And I think that's where the use of the tax system comes in um and ensuring that you know a, a place is taxed so that it 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 puts the you know the heat under the owners mm -hmm. to kind of do something with it either sell it on or re renovate it because usually dereliction isn't a sign of poverty it's actually a sign of wealth it's there, a sign that there, someone can there, almost there's do a without. sniff in the newspapers this morning that we may get a derelict properties tax would that be welcome that would be very very welcome and i think the other issue you mentioned is a, is a really crucial one and it's about um, the, the the turnaround time, say among say local authority dwellings, um, and and that I have to say is to do with um, how local authorities deal or don't deal with what with what would they call voids, so em empty units, and it strikes me that at a time of such um, demand, um, there are certain local authorities, um, not all local authorities, some local authorities are very very proactive, but certain local authorities are are really very poor at um, turning around those those voids, those um, those empty units, um, and you know, uh, making them uh, worthy of kind of mm. uh, of occupation again, um, that really should be um, should be looked at. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I suspect there are some lo local authorities that are really leading the way there, and and some local authorities that are really underperforming in terms of how they treat the, these vacant um, social housing units. Lastly, and we have a fair notion now of everything that will be announced this afternoon, but there could be one or two surprises, according to Adam Higgins, who I was speaking to recently from the, or just there a while ago from the Irish Sun. If there was to be one surprise announcement for the housing sector or the housing crisis this afternoon, what would it be? What would make you happy if it was in, in, in terms of an announcement today? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I guess, you know, there's a lot of investment in, in, in homeless services. I think if there was um, a very specific uh, amount set aside for homeless prevention, the kind of work that we are doing, the kind of work that other organisations are doing to assist people to stay in their homes, to work with tenants and work with landlords and ensure that people can stay in their homes where, where it's possible and where it's viable. I think that would be um, a really important area. If, if I may be so bold and ask, you know, look at for another one, um, mm. Then you know I, I think we need to, to look at the reform of the, the housing assistance payment. That you know there is a there's a price tag associated with that, um, and while it's a, a, a massive improvement on the rent supplement, um, 
there are issues causing people kind of financial hardship and um, an increase in, in the housing assistance payment uh, levels um, in, in certain circumstances, I think, is, is really important uh, to, to ensure that people um, can continue to uh, afford um, their, their private rented um, homes. OK, we will see what comes up this afternoon. John Mark McCafferty, CEO of Threshold, thank you for being with us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. PJ, can you explain the budget about private schools to why they're getting 94 million a year aren't they supposed to be self-providers and they're getting 7,000 per student from their parents per year that's an ongoing bugbear why do private schools get state money aren't they supposed to be supported by fees and things then again you'd wonder how high would the damn fees be if they didn't get some support from the state 1850-715-996 cashless, I've been talking about this for months and months and months and months and months we all went cashless, almost entirely cashless at the start of Covid I'm now carrying cash again at any one time I have 20 or 30 quid in my pocket because they're just some things I, what's the point of tapping a card for a 3 euro coffee I'm sorry, that's just daft it's crazy, and here we go this, this post uh, is gaining some traction on social, just called to get a coffee at the shop to discover they charged me extra because I tapped my card. What? I checked around the shop and there was no notice up. I won't be going in there again. Wow. 1850 715 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Boeing Tractor and Vintage Car Run 2021 will take place on Sunday the 24th of October. Registration is at Boeing Hall at 11am and the run sets off at 12.30. Proceeds raised from the event are in aid of Marymount Hospice. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Remember on tomorrow's Opinion Line, we'll be looking back at the budget announced today, speaking to Taoiseach Micheál Martin and also to Public Enterprise Minister Michael McGrath. We're looking for your questions and your comments. Email them to opinion at 96fm.ie or send a WhatsApp voicemail to 083 396 96 96. And that's once you've heard the budget, once you've seen what's in the budget, once we've a fair idea now what's going to be in it. But have a think about it this evening and I'll put your questions to the Taoiseach and indeed to Minister McGrath tomorrow. 1850 715 One in eight of us live in poverty. Uh, that's 630,000 people. And a group that uh, its working life is devoted to trying to sort out poverty in this country is Social Justice Ireland. Sean Healy, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Good to speak with you again, Sean. It's been a few years. Good to be back, as always. <laughs> Sean, looking at what we... Uh, we've, budgets have changed, as I've been saying all morning, in that we used to wait until the minister stood up and then we'd make notes. Now we know in advance what he's going to say or what the two ministers are going to say. Based mm-hmm. on what we're hearing, what does Social Justice Ireland make of this? I think 
the fundamental comment I would make is that it's a betrayal of Ireland's poorest and most vulnerable people. What we see is a situation where the poorest in Irish society are being left behind. Mm -hmm. There was no uh, increase in the last two years uh, in the core welfare rates uh, and nor in the pension. This is the third year then in a row. In those, in, in that period, uh, inflation was about over 4%. Uh, it's going to go up another 3% in 2022. So the value of the what people had three years ago is not being maintained even after this budget has been put in place. So uh, it would have required 10 euro a week just to maintain the status quo uh, and hold, hold people where they were. So what I see, in fact, happening is a betrayal of Ireland's poorest and most vulnerable people. So the fiver is of no use to anyone, is what you're saying? It's pathetic, uh, and it's, it's a huge. And not alone that, uh, like uh, you, you, you have the, everybody's been talking about the rising energy costs and so on. There's a the the deal when when the carbon tax was brought in was that all of that money would be used to to protect the weakest and most vulnerable, and that's simply not happening. So, uh, not alone um, is there a betrayal in the poorest uh, of the poorest going on and the most vulnerable, but there's also a bit of hypocrisy going on because they're saying with one one side of their mouth, they're saying we're going to give all of this money to ensure uh, that they, that these people are not, the weakest are not left behind. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, what they're doing in reality is leaving them behind. The, the gap between uh, poor the poorest in Irish society and the rest of society is going to widen as a result of this budget. Mm-hmm. And by the way, PJ, it's not, just the welfare rates. It's also people on low pay. They're they're talking about increasing the minimum wage by thirty cent an hour. But living wage has actually gone up by sixty cent an hour this year. Yeah. So the gap between the minimum wage and the living wage is going to uh, be higher in 2022 than it was in 2021. Mm. With due respects, like we're talking about both the, the those who are don't don't have a job at all, those pensioners and those who do have a job but don't have uh, decent pay, they, they're all being left behind mm. in effect. The likes of Ibeck w- would say, Sean, that, that a living wage would burst a load of companies and, and close down a load of businesses. I don't accept that at all. Uh, there's a l- large number of companies now in the private sector, not just in Ireland, but in the UK and across Europe, who are paying a living wage. And I think uh, we have to be careful uh, that we don't have a we don't develop a type of society uh, where profits are being made on the equivalent of slave labour, where people are being asked to to to, to work for below poverty wages. Mm-hmm. Well, I, mean, I mean, at the, the end of the, the day, minimum wage is one of the highest in the EU. You know. It is, but the cost of living is so is as well. You see, that's part of our problem. Yes. Like, if the car, if the cost of living in Ireland was the same as it was in the rest of Europe, uh, we'd have a, a lower uh, living wage to to achieve, and we we'd go further with the minimum wage. But the the key issue in in all of that, of course, that's hiding away there, is that the the major contributor up to now. Uh, to the rise in the in the in the living wage is the rise in housing costs because they have gone up a dramatic they've almost doubled in about the last ten or twelve years. We think we're part of the group, the technical group that calculates the living wage every year. We've been doing it now fourteen years, and um, the, the the result, the interesting, like almost all of the increase in that time has been based on 
uh, the, 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 the increase in, in housing costs of one kind or another. What is the up-to-date figure, as in the, the living wage as calculated by all the various shareholders as of this morning? What would it be, Sean? The, li- the, li- the living wage would be twelve ninety an hour. Uh, the, the, uh, the, so that like you're talking about quite a distance 10.30 and now they're going to put the 10.30 up to 10.60 mm-hmm. okay but but uh, it was it was uh, 10.30 an hour and now it's gone up to 10.90 an hour and almost all of that increase is due to housing costs but very interesting what's going to happen in 22 almost certainly is that it'll have to go up again to deal with the energy costs yes. the increases because yes. like you, you, I, I'm in I, like I, I'm in the anomalous situation. I actually favour uh, the, the the energy costs uh, going up uh, because of the carbon tax, not because of the the, the other side that's causing it, where, where oil suppliers and so on are pushing up the price. But I'm talking about the, the carbon tax. But that carbon tax was supposed to be used in total uh, to, to make sure that those who had difficulty in paying the, 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 the consequences of the carbon tax would actually uh, be compensated. Mm. That is only happening in part. Because some of these energy price increases are going to increase poverty, not, uh, and that's a simple fact. That energy is going to put a lot of families, a lot of ordinary families to the pin of their collar. Sean, you're also an economist, so you can look at the figures and tell us whether or not it could be like all these things like a tenner a week on the basic social welfare introducing a living mm-hmm. wage rather than a, than a minimum wage like how the heck do you pay for that without borrowing to bait the band well actually it's not that difficult um, it's very interesting like that, that the government uh, is now heading towards implementing something we've been arguing about, and I might have well dealt with in this program some years ago even, we've been arguing for years in favour of a minimum effective corporate tax rate, that corporations could not escape paying yeah. less than the corporate tax rate. Now that's that's been, Ireland is actually forced to accept it. And in that process, Ireland disgraced itself by arguing for uh, the the situation the, the position of the corporations against the most of the governments 130 plus governments in the world who had basically decided that the the rate should be set at least at 15% government insist the irish government insisted on the at least take uh, going out so we have then a bunch of the fear there, that has, the fear there is that that our foreign direct employers uh, would pack up the tent that's a, that's a fear with no basis in reality, and I'll tell you why. If just think about it, listen, your corp people are, are 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 bright people. I know I'm a corp man myself, and it, like the bottom line in it is this: uh, if you're going to get to keep eighty five percent of your uh, profits, even if you got to keep eighty percent of your profits, is that a good deal? I think it's a very good deal. Why compare it to the PAYE worker? And the, the PAYE worker has to pay tax on the money that's coming in before they pay their bills. We're not asking corporations to pay a cent before they pay their bills. They pay all of their bills. We're only talking about taxing the profits. Mm-hmm. So talking about like if you get to keep 80% of your profits and you're a transnational, you're doing very, very well. I would suggest respectfully, respectfully uh, in comparison to the ordinary Joseph 
Joe Soap or Josephine Soap, like basically who have to pay uh, the PAYE and all the rest of it uh, from the first penny they earn, they're in the tax debt and they can't escape it. So your view on today, and we know that we've been told the economy is recovering faster than they thought it was. The deficit that was to be 20 billion is down to 13 billion that they're dealing with. Right. That's a good, that's a good recovery. Is it not, lastly, is it not prudent to be careful at, at, at this point rather than splurge? I, I agree. We need, we, I think, I think government in fairness has done well in the last few years. It didn't repeat the, the mistakes that it made after the bank crash. A dec- more than a decade ago, and it didn't put us through this kind of crazy austerity they put us through at that time. Now, the Irish government wasn't alone in that, but it's generally accepted now across the world that that was the wrong thing to do. They didn't repeat it this time. They borrowed the money. They put the emphasis on protecting as many jobs as possible and trying to maintain the living standards of people with the P-pop and so on. But what we're looking at now is the deepening of divisions in Irish society as a result of this budget. And there's a lot of resource being put into the budget, 4.7 billion euro. It's a lot of money. Um, and I, But I think it could be divided in a different way okay. because as a result of it, uh, the, the, the divisions in Irish society between the better off and the poor is going to widen. And I think we're seeing a, a, a strengthening of a deeply divided two-tier society. And that's a deeply divided two-tier societies are bad for business. They're bad for society. They're bad for the ordinary people, all the people, all the citizens, everybody. We all We are all in a worse situation if the depth of division is going to deepen, if the gap between the poor and the rest of society is going to widen, if there's large proportion of society being left behind, that is not good for anybody. What we're going to see as a result of budget uh, 2022 is a rise in poverty. Go back to the very point you started with, 630,000 people in poverty today, that number will rise as a result of the decisions made in today's budget. That is as, a, as an outcome of a budget, that is a disgrace. Sean, thank you for that. That's Sean Healy of Social Justice Ireland and not just a Corkman, but a former Cork Person of the Year. Thanks, Sean. 1850-715-996. Now, speaking of houses and unfinished houses and all of that, uh, Jerry White has been in touch with the opinion line as we're talking about a, a housing shortage. What's this development in Nocknahini, Jerry, that seems to be have, have been abandoned? Good morning. Absolutely, PJ, and thanks for having me on. I tell you, I'm living here in the Kilmore Road, and right across from me there's a fine terrace of houses. About started about two years ago, and work was progressing fine. I mean, you could see progress being made every week. But then, at the last lockdown, obviously the the building crew were were removed from the site in accordance with the restrictions. But then, when the lockdown was lifted, nothing. Yeah. Nobody came back. I mean, they were beavering away there all along. And aside from the occasional one or two you see tinkering over there, absolutely nothing, no. And the problem there is a lot of the residents here have been promised those houses. The city council have been were engaging with them. Some are living actually in substandard housing, very damp, bad wiring and all the rest of it. I've made numerous attempts or queries with, with local councillors to find out what's happening. No response. They, they tell me that they can't get an answer from the city council. And in the absence of hard facts, rumours have abounded. I mean, we've had one rumour saying that 
the walls were going to were collapsing. Another one mm-hmm. that underpinning needed to be done. Yet another one, the most extreme, was that the whole um, lot were being bulldozed. And yeah. the only major um, development in recent times was that all the scaffolding started to be taken down, which yeah. can surely be a good sign. And we don't know if it's a council-backed development or a private one. Well, I'm a, I think it's a council-backed development because residents were told they would be moving up to those houses. Ah. And apparently, apparently, I've spoken to a number of local councillors, and the only answer I got off them is that they can't get an answer. I went over and I've asked the occasional guy in a high visibility vest what's going on, and all they do is shrug their shoulders. No, surely to God, if nothing else, PJ, surely to God that people are entitled to some bit of information. Yeah, I mean, there are people waiting, had been waiting patiently to move into these houses. You know, and no, nothing. I, you've seen the photographs, I believe, I sent yes. you seen photographs there. Yes. It's like, it's derelict. It's, well, it's not derelict yet, but I mean, eventually it will be. And as well as that, leaving unfinished houses exposed to the harsh Irish winters with, with yeah. this timber and everything can't do, you know, do Not properly house. sealed, Renton. You might as well just knock them down. Absolutely. Yeah. It's wide open to the elements. All right. We've asked so, Cork, City, Cork City Council for a statement. We haven't heard anything back from them yet. But thanks for that. Jerry, Jerry White, Chalky, 1850-715-996. Does anybody know, is that a private development or a council development? Jerry seems to think it's council. We've asked council, is it one of theirs? What's happening with it? And they haven't come back to us just yet. 1850-715-996. There's a big divide in housing. Unless we sort out the basics, we're never going to sort it. There are people working really hard to pay their mortgage and they get nothing. The government even took away the mortgage relief. Then on the other hand, you have local authorities giving out houses to people who never worked a day in their life. I understand everyone's entitled to a home, but some people just... And on another point, there's so, there's so many resources going into collecting rent arrears. It should be like the property tax and taken out of wages, free up council staff to carry out other jobs. I don't want to come on radio, but regarding housing, I'm due to be a qualified Sparks in October 2022. Good on you. And I've only just finished my first year exams. How are they going to get labour when people are giving up due to poor pay and lack of progress? There you go. Uh, On the council houses, a lot of them are held by the elderly and the very poor or the infirm. They're not able to maintain them. If the council maintained them like they do in some other countries... They then turn, turn them around faster. It's the combination of different trades to solve complex problems that causes a lot of the delay. And PJ, it's the auctioneers putting up the cost of houses, says another comment uh, to the opinion line. 1850 715 So you can see there, um, Sean Healy of Social Justice Ireland says that this budget will make the poor poorer. That's not, that's not a good start. As we head into the budget this afternoon, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. Cmig.ie. The lines are live, and we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. 
mentioned that uh, post on social media about the person paying for coffee and being charged extra for tapping. Let's read it again. Just called to get a coffee at the shop to discover they charged me extra because I tapped my card. Scandalous. I checked around the shop. There was no notice to say this. I won't be popping in there again. Not too sure who sent this in, but we did have a WhatsApp voicemail in response to that. PJ, if that listener was charged for a tap and go or card payment on a European debit card, the shop who done it is actually breaking the law. You can't charge the bank fees on a on a debit card or credit card in Europe. I wonder, did that happen in Cork? But thanks for that. Uh, Again, that's one of the simplest ways to get your point of view across on the opinion line. Uh, the WhatsApp voice message, 83 396 Looking for them for tomorrow also. You can stop now, thanks. Looking for them for tomorrow also in response to the budget, which will be announced in full this afternoon by Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath. Michael McGrath will join us on the programme tomorrow after 11 and we want your contributions, your questions, your emails that we can put to them or put to the minister tomorrow on the programme after 11 o'clock. Send a WhatsApp voice note at 083 396 96 or indeed send an email to opinion at 96fm.ie. Also speaking to the Taoiseach on tomorrow's programme to put to him the reaction to the budget that will be announced today. 1850 So I'll come back to Budget Matters. Jerry has a, a, quite a lengthy comment there, which I'll get to. But I want to talk to Gillian Keating of I Wish. A study by I Wish has found it's time to rethink how STEM subjects are presented in schools. Over three quarters of teenage girls have said that there's a lack of choice and that's a barrier to them in the STEM career. That's science, technology, engineering and maths. 15 out of the 20 fastest growing career areas in the world require a background in maths or in science. But only 25% of those jobs in Ireland are held by females and its access appears to be the problem. Gillian Keating, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Is this survey telling us that girls who want to do maths or physics can't get into them? No, it's not necessarily the maths or physics that they can't get into, but there are other STEM um, subject choices which are more commonly available to boys than girls. And of our respondents, so we oh, 2,440 plus respondents to our survey this year, and um, 87% of those agreed that STEM was a growing area of opportunity. And they 81% said they wanted to know more. So there was a real thirst for knowledge there. But of those that responded, 55% had an interest in studying engineering to leading cert, but it mm. wasn't available to them. Right. Or and again, 52% were interested in construction studies, but it wasn't available to them. And 46% were interested in design and kind of commercial graphics. Um, and uh, and it wasn't available to them. So the traditional maths and um, biology in particular um, are, are available. So that's not the issue. But that's just a very limited area of STEM. And we now know that STEM permeates 
most of the jobs of the future. And we're really anxious that girls aren't limited right. um, in their ability to access those jobs and those career choices. So, so you need more access in, in girls' schools to things like engineering and construction and design kind of thing? Exactly. So if you take engineering as an example, while you don't need to have studied engineering in your leaving search to do it in college, it does limit your knowledge of what that college course would be like. And also, it, there is this then gendered preconception that maybe engineering isn't suited to girls because it's less available in girls' schools schools than it is for boys schools so they're just the kind of messaging uh, that we need to tackle if we want to improve those stats that you said were just 25% of the STEM workforce is female Is there a similar dispar- dis- discrepancy a dispar- you know, between the boys and girls as it were in engineering in third level Yes we do see and, and that's one of the concerns that there isn't the same take up um, in engineering at third level, and that is the th- that's where we then have a real problem because if we're not getting the girls into the college courses in the first place, then we're not going to have them coming out the other side, and that's where we then have a blockage in terms of the talent pool that Ireland Inc has if it wants to compete for the jobs of the future. Mm-hmm. Because this is a digital and engineering type world and we need to be preparing our young people for it. And if if the boys get better opportunities than the girls, that's not exactly fair. And if you look at the Leaving Cert uh, stats from just this year, the percentage of students taking higher level subjects who are female and you look at engineering, it's at 8%. And then look at biology at 63% and physics 29%. So there are certain ones in which actually girls have a very strong representation, biology and chemistry being two of those. But then there are areas where they're very unrepresented. And uh, that's 8% engineering, 13% construction studies, 20% technology. And if you look at those, they are some of the key areas for the economy of the future. Mm. And the, the evidence from your survey, the evidence is there that they want to study these areas, but the opportunities to study them don't presently exist in the system. Absolutely. And there are other barriers then as well um, in terms of the information that's available to them about college courses and the information that's out there on STEM jobs. Um, And, you know, when you think back to when you were 17, um, you know, uh, IT security, software developer, um, you know, um, scrum master, all of these types of jobs that are there now, you you just didn't know what they actually meant when you were 17. And so, you know, we know about 3D printing, but it's hard to think about how you can have a career in 3D printing when you're um, 17 and maybe you're interested in healthcare. And, you know, you're not aware then that we have companies on our doorstep like Stryker creating 3D um, orthopedic Mm -hmm. um, elements. So so there is this lack of information and permeating every level from not just the school subject but also to the jobs that are out there, to the uh, courses that are available in higher education. And I suppose that's what I wish 
um, year on year attempts to tackle by showcasing actually what it is these great companies are doing in these areas and what careers you can have with them if you study X, mm. Y and Z in um, higher education. You'll, you'll be um, familiar with the, with the mantra, I can't be it if I can't see it. Exactly. Exactly. And that comes out very strongly from our surveys year on year, year on uh, year. And that's why this year, I suppose, we're making a real concerted effort to um, make mentorship programs available to the girls so that they can have this one on one access um, to mentors who will help them understand actually the power of STEM and the opportunities that are out there. But most importantly, will also help build their confidence and to show them that actually they are they have everything within themselves to forge a great career in STEM. Okay, I can wish you continued success with the work at I Wish. That's uh, Gillian Keating. Thanks for being with us on the opinion line. So 75 percent of girls say they can't get at the subjects that they want to study to go on to do, say, an engineering or otherwise scientific qualification in college. Thanks, Gillian. 1850-715-996. Just on the... Oh, there's Kilmore Road uh, on WhatsApp. Uh, well done, PJ, for highlighting the building fiasco on Kilmore Road. If they stayed within the timeline, over 200 social houses would now be available. Hope you can get an answer. Well, it was Chalky White who brought that to our attention but certainly it looks like a huge project that just stopped. Now, lockdown might be blamed for, for some of it, but it just stopped. Has it been abandoned? Is it going to resume? If there's 200 social houses up there, that's, that's a huge number of houses that would house a huge number of young families. We've asked the council for a statement. We so far have heard nothing back, but that's okay. That's okay. We sent them a couple of questions we'd like them to answer what's happening on the Kilmore Road. But thanks to Jerry for letting us know about that. Another Jerry says, Hi PJ, we paid the highest amount of indirect taxes in Europe. We have the highest mortgage interest rates, and the government take seventy to eighty percent, eighty cent rather, on each litre of petrol or diesel. Actually, I was listening to a statistic yesterday on another programme where of the 168 or 166 or 167 you're currently paying for your gallon or your litre of petrol at the pumps, the government is taking almost a euro out of that in taxes. There's almost a euro of that straight into the government out of your one. 67 or 168 per litre of petrol. Government, says Jerry, have done nothing to reduce these indirect taxes or mortgage interest rates over the last few years when they could have. PJ, the more money the government puts into the economy today is just going to fuel inflation and everything we purchase will continue to rise to a level we can't afford. We're living in a false economy because what government give in one hand they will take with the other and the poverty divide will get even greater. Well, that's what Sean Healy is saying, and remember, Sean is an economist, so he does the figures and he crunches the numbers with a certain degree of knowledge. And he's been putting together the basis of what we know will happen today, what we've been told is going to happen today, crunching those numbers against the work that Social Justice Ireland do. And he said, for the most part, it'll make absolutely no difference, but for a whole lot of people, it'll actually leave them worse off which I guess is not what the government wants to hear before the two ministers have even stood up. Can we just talk?
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. If it's happening on Side, you hear about it here. If you want the best tunes for your afternoon, you get them here. And everything else you need on the radio to keep you going through the day. After the opinion line here on Cork's 96FM. If you're aged 80 or over, you'll soon be offered a COVID-19 vaccine booster dose. The booster dose should give you extra protection against serious illness caused by COVID-19. Your GP will contact you when it's time for your vaccine, so there's no need to register. If you're aged 65 and over and you live in long-term care, you'll also be offered a booster dose by the care team where you live. For more information, visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1800 700 700. You could win €1,000 in free fuel with Top Oil. Choose €1,000 in petrol, diesel or home heating oil. Plus, play online to pick your prize. Choose between a €300 Apple gift card, a family pass to Tato Park valued at €380, or gift cards worth €300 from One for All and Top Oil. Sign up to pick your prize at topoilwin.ie. Terms and conditions apply. See topoilwin.ie for details. Do you know binning old and broken electrical items is damaging our planners? When disposing of electrical items, bulbs and batteries, we we like like to say... Say, binning is sinning. You can recycle all your old and broken electrical items for free at your local authority recycling centre. Or nearest electrical retailer. Find your drop-off point at weireland.ie. Always remember when disposing of electrical items, bulbs and batteries, binning binning is sinning. So recycle for free and help protect our planet. The private sale at Kildare Village is now on. Shop in over 100 of your favourite luxury brands in the fresh, crisp autumn air and save up to 20% more on the usual village prices. It's like a sale on top of a sale. To receive your invitation, simply register at kildarevillage.com now. The private sale at Kildare Village. Something extraordinary every day. Terms and conditions apply. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Quartz 96 FM. I want to talk to Patricia Ford. She's an author uh, based in Galway. And she's written a number of books in the Irish language for children. And books that are identity friendly uh, for children. I, I get the Irish language, but I understand obviously what the book is in the Irish language. But Patricia joins me now. Patricia, what is an identity friendly book for a child? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, yeah, an identity friendly book, I suppose, is uh, the opposite to what I grew up with. You know, when we were reading in school, it was all uh, Ina Blyton, first of all, they, they were mostly British people, very well off people. Um, who drank ginger beer that we never heard of. Uh, so trying to produce books that include everybody, that show people's various cultures and backgrounds is an identity-friendly book, I suppose. That's what it is. I wrote actually both in English and in Irish. Um, but the thing about Irish language books, I suppose, is that in our own country, there's a whole group of people who are often invisible, the people who read in Irish, the children who read in Irish. 
And I'm delighted to say that that is improving all the time. We have mm. a wonderful children's laureate, Annie Nicklin, who uh, very much promotes uh, writing in Irish for children. Um, but within that, and apart from that, it, it's kind of down to the writer, you know, what you choose as your subject matter. Uh, one of my last books in Irish was called Erstray. Uh, it was published by Futha Fatha, and it was about a little refugee boy in Galway who's living in a hotel accommodation mm. and the problems that causes him in school and in his life. Uh, and he finds a lost dog, which is something I think a lot of children identify with. And he really wants to give the dog a home. He wants to mind him. But within his own circumstances, that's very difficult. Mm. So identity, I suppose it, it it can be about anything, PJ. You know, there are books written about uh, children who are hard of hearing or children who uh, are homeless. And it's only recently that we've started featuring those people in books. Like mm. for years and years with children's books, a lot of kids couldn't see themselves. They, there was no sign of them anywhere in a book. Yeah. The, on the, the little story there about the, the the lad living, the little refugee lad living, and like, yeah. where was your insight for that? Where, where did you get your 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 source material for that? Did you? Yeah, it was funny. You know, I think everything you write about arises from something you see or hear in your own life. And uh, here in Galway, you know, we all love walking the prom. It's what we do. And uh, there's a hotel there that is now a refugee centre for the last ten or more years. And uh, I was walking there one evening and I saw a young boy of about nine or ten who uh, turned out was from Syria. I didn't know that, but he was from Syria. And he was talking to, uh, talking to, he was talking to a dog on the prom. And uh, that was all I saw. But I extrapolated everything else for myself, probably none of which was actually what was happening at all. But I was imagining there he is worried about that dog who's obviously lost. Yeah. And he's he himself, lost himself is lost, yeah. not having somewhere to live. So, um, and also, I suppose I go into a lot of schools. So, I was seeing a lot of those children in Galway uh, in front of me, gorgeous children, full of potential, full of life. And you, the teachers would tell you, you know, the small little things about the sleepovers they couldn't have, the birthday parties, all that sort of thing. Mm. Or more shockingly, I, I got to know one child in a school that I was reading in quite regularly. And I came back after Christmas one year and she wasn't there. And I said to the other kids, because she was the life and soul of that class. She was the leader. And I said to the children, where is she? And they explained to me that she had, her family had got a house, Mm. but they had moved to the far side of the city. That kind of killed me because I thought, you know, she was so happy here. She was so settled in her group with her class, like all kids, you know. And and suddenly she's whipped out of there and put somewhere else. I just think we have a lot to learn about that still. Yeah. Interesting with the Irish language uh, books and you, Galway based, mm-hmm. uh, that wonderful, wonderful Salt Hill prom. Like you, you walk, <laughs> you walk long enough along that prom, you'll walk into the Grail Talks anyway. So, so you would near enough, <laughs> close <laughs> enough to it. But but like. Writing a story like that little child with the dog, that little Syrian lad in, in Irish, it's an interesting combination. How do, how do they say Yeah, it is. And, and for me, when I'm writing, like I said, I write in English and in Irish. So when I'm writing in Irish, I'm not really thinking about the language. Like, you know, I don't make a point in the story that the boy is speaking in Irish. 
Um, I just ignore the language, really. Yeah. Because to the child reading it, Irish is their first language very often. And I want them to feel that, that this is a normal world. The problem for a lot of Irish-speaking children is when they read children's books, it's not a normal world. Mm. You know, it's not the world they know. Where they go to the shop and the shopkeeper speaks to them in Irish. They go to the school to school and teacher speaks to them in Irish. But equally, when their aunt comes to visit or their granny, it's Irish they're speaking. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to normalize that world for them. You know, let them see that um, they are represented in books. Uh, and equally, I want that Syrian child in school to see that, hey, that we know his story, that we know he's there, that we rec- that we wave to them from the book saying, I know you're out there. I mm-hmm. recognize you. I see you. Um, and I think that's what's been missing for a lot of time. And I mean, the other thing I suppose we all have to remember is like Irish society has changed so much in the last 10 years. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's 15 years uh, in terms of diversity and inclusion. Uh, And yet, PJ, there has been no budget for school libraries since 2008. I was only talking about that last week on the Opinion 9. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. That really galls me because I think, you know, how can we writers... Um, produce books showing diversity and inclusion and we're all really making a huge push to do that but we need those books to be available to the children and we need them to be in school libraries Um, but apart from that little rant about school libraries I think things are improving hugely I love what Children's Books Ireland did with their booklet Free to Be Me which has you know over 300 titles Mm. in it 360 books I think altogether so for parents or teachers you know, who just want to open their child's mind to other cultures and other identities. Um, you know, I think it's great to be to be able to read those books. And books that I do think make a huge impression on children when they're young. So that idea of them seeing other cultures, 
you know, walking for a while in somebody else's shoes. Mm. Um, I think that will be hugely beneficial to all of us. Just lastly, on, on the subject of the, the Irish language, and I mentioned how close you'd be there in the Salt Hill prom. You'd practically walk into the Gaeltacht if you stayed there long enough on a summer's day. <laughs> um, one of the most beautiful things I ever saw, Patricia, or ever heard, was a young lad from, I, and I'm not too sure where he was from, so but he was speaking the most fluent of Irish. He read nine, speaking almost yeah. fluent Irish, going to a Grail skull with virtually yeah. fluent Irish. Is that happening much in, in your part of the world? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Grail skull now have changed things totally. You now have, when I go into read in schools now, <clears throat> these are children coming from an English speaking background. I go in to read them. By the time they're in senior infants, first class, they're pretty much fluent. They pick it up so quickly mm. and they speak nothing else. Yeah. I was doing, it was very funny. I was doing a session recently online with an English, um, no, a mixture of schools or English medium schools and Irish medium schools. But I was actually talking about a book I had written in English. So we were all speaking in English. We were talking about the book in English and somebody put up their hand in one of the classrooms in front of me on Zoom. And when I called the child, she spoke to me in Irish immediately. Wow. And she, it was a school in County Meath somewhere. So it wasn't like a Gaeltas or anything. But she was so used to school working through Irish that she automatically spoke in Irish. And the teacher, not knowing I had Irish, said to her, Laura Merla, you know, speak in English. And I was so glad to be able to address her in Irish and say, you know, there's no need. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of like a secret conversation between us. And it was lovely. The people who uh, say the language is dead, they're not right. Than seeing small children who, for whom Irish is not their first language, yeah. speaking beautifully, yeah. you know, and chatting away naturally. I yeah. think that's the thing. It's They're totally natural. That's the language they speak all day. Yeah, but PJ, that was my background. I went to um, an all Irish speaking school, uh, but I came from um, a household where we spoke English. And um, I've managed to stay fluent in Irish all my life from that beginning. I think that that beginning is so important. Mm. That's just that thing in your brain that says there are other languages. There's a different way of speaking. And everybody in Ireland, you know, probably speaks some French. So you know yourself when you when you start thinking about another language, you go to a different box in your head. You're kind of going to that place in your head that has language. Uh, but if you do that with Irish from a very young age, I think it's easier to find the box mm. later on when you're learning French or German or whatever it is. Mm. And looking at your website, there's a, a lovely list of all your books in both Irish and uh, English. Where can we get them? Are they, are they online for sale or do you have to... Are no, they in all bookshops? They're, they're available, as they say, in all good bookshops. And of course, they're available in your local library as well. All right, listen, good. Uh, the, the list is also, uh, it, 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 there's a book about language called The List as well, which is a fascinating read. Yeah, in Ireland, it's called The Wordsmith. It was published in America and they called it The List. It was about a community that are only allowed to use 500 words. That's the list. There's a list of 500 words and they're the only words you can use. But in Ireland, it's known as The Wordsmith. And it now has a sequel called Mother Tongue. Tell me more about that. Uh, it's good fun. It was a book I wrote about um, a society in the future. Global warming has happened. Everything is drowned. Everything is underwater, except for one community on top of a mountain in a place called Ark. <laughs> and in Ark, music is forbidden. Art is banned. And the language of Ark is a list, a list of 500 words. And they're the only words you're allowed to use. 
Uh, and I used a thing from Irish history where the children in Ark wear a stick, a tally stick around their neck. And if they speak a word that is not on the list, the police or the teacher or whoever puts a mark on the stick. And when they get 10 marks, they're thrown out of Ark into the forest to be eaten by the wolves. So it's a very um, kind of cruel society. And the protagonist, a little girl called Letta, who is the wordsmith's apprentice. Her job is to give out the words to people, to give them the words they're allowed. And at some point in the book, she thinks this isn't right. And she sides with the rebels and tries to fix the world she lives in. Yeah. In a way, it kind of sounds a little bit like some of us learned Irish when we went to the Grailtacht in the summertime. If you were caught speaking English, you were in trouble. <laughs> At least they didn't put a tally stick around your neck, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, the child from a foreign country like has limited language skills. They shouldn't be punished for getting a word wrong. No, no, they shouldn't. Well, none of us should be punished, I think, for language. But when I was writing The Wordsmith, I was thinking about language and, and, and languages, minority languages like, like Irish. And, you know, how many words do we need for the language to survive? How many words can we lose before it's gone? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also thinking about the power of words. You know, I often say to children when I'm talking to them, you know, should we ban certain words? Should we ban, you know, uh, derogatory words that are just there to be offensive? And of course, what we always come back to in the end is it, it is about freedom of speech. Uh, it's not that we want to ban words. We want to change the way people think so that they don't use those words. And that's what I was trying to do in the book. I was trying to talk about how... Which is very much how society is changing in that there are ways we would... You would say something today Mm. that in a way you would never have said the... You know, I'm getting this all wrong now, but you'd say something today and the way you'd have said it five, ten years ago, you would never say it now, even though you're saying the same thing. You're saying the same thing. And we totally learned now that language is a weapon. And you can't, you know, throw it around any which way and say, I'll say what I like. Well, you can't really say what you like because, you know, we know... Well, you can, but you have to say it a particular way. Yeah, you do. And I think that's right. I think we have to control the way we speak uh, for the good of others. I think, you know, it is about not hurting people. Mm -hmm. I think at the end of all this, in the book, you know, in the book that Children's Books Ireland brought out, Free to Be Me, the list of books about diversity and inclusion, the thing that jumped out at me is, at the end of the day, kindness is -hmm. probably the most important message in that book. You know what? And the books we want to give our kids to read, we want to, of course we want to show them some of the darker side of life and we want to show them struggle. But I think ultimately we want to show them that good people are kind. Do you and know what? Be kind enough. It's something we may well come back to because it's a fascinating one, and we could spend quite a while talking about that use of language in in the modern world. Patricia Ford, thank you very much. Her website is patriciafordauthor.com. The way I'd said something ten years ago, and the way I'd say it now, saying exactly the same thing, the language is totally changed. And sometimes you might be uncomfortable with that, but that's the way the world has moved. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. 
CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The Kevin Brady Electric Quartet has a clear aim of creating and producing new contemporary jazz and their performance has been critically acclaimed for their dynamism and musicality. You can check it all out for yourself at Triscoll Christchurch when they play on Friday 3rd of December. Pauline Scanlon and the Wildways interpret the music of one of the greatest songwriters of our time with Bird on a Wire as they celebrate many of Leonard Cohen's best loved works. It's a show taking place as part of the Guinness Jazz Festival on Wednesday, October 27th at Cork Opera House. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on Lisa. On Cork's 96FM. That sound. That boom. That's life happening right now. One beat after the next. What's next is what Leia Healthcare do. Giving you access to more hospitals, consultants and urgent care clinics so you never miss a beat. We're always evolving, never still, making you better before you're even ill. It's healthcare on your terms, always one beat ahead. And that's how Leia Healthcare are looking after you, always. Insurance provided by Ellipse Insurance Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare. Leia Healthcare Limited Trading as Leia Healthcare and Leia Life is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Additional access is dependent on holding private medical insurance. Urgent care available to over 12 months. Consultants subject to their availability. Don't lose your grip this winter. Get your tyres checked by a Repack ELT member. It's good for your safety, the environment and your pocket. Having the correct tyre tread depth and pressure helps keep you and your family safe when driving in challenging weather conditions. Safe tyres save lives. To find out more, visit repackelt.ie. Repack end-of-life tyres, supporting Irish Road Safety Week in association with the Road Safety Authority. Dundeal has the largest range of premium cars in Ireland from Ireland's trusted premium car dealerships. That's why you will find CarMax on Dundeal. Stop by the CarMax showroom on Dundeal today and connect with CarMax. Dundeal, for premium car deals to feel great about from Ireland's trusted car dealerships. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Talking about Mental Health Week, which runs until tomorrow. And Ireland's first national survey into suicide bereavement has been launched as part of Mental Health Week, which is kind of bizarre when you read it's our first ever national survey into uh, suicide bereavement. Researchers at the National Suicide Research Foundation uh, in collaborating with HUG which is a suicide bereavement charity they have invited a survey of anyone impacted by the suicide of someone they love to take part and about 500 suicides are recorded officially in Ireland every year. That's according to the CSO. It's estimated that when someone dies by suicide, maybe six family members and maybe as many as 135 individual people may be affected by every death from suicide. Which means, if you were to do those numbers, and this is before the the research, you'd look at maybe 60,000 people impacted by suicide in Ireland annually. 
I'm joined by Dr. Eve Griffin of the UCC School of Public Health and the National Suicide Research Fund and by Fiona Toomey of Hug Helping Untold Grief Groups. I'll talk to you shortly, Fiona, but Dr. Griffin, bring you in first. I'm, I'm surprised that this is the first such national survey. Good morning. Yeah, I suppose, uh, you know, as, as researchers at the National Suicide Research Foundation, our area of research is, is suicide prevention. And most of the work and research that we do is 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 into uh, understanding the risk factors around suicide and, and preventing suicide. And I suppose that's true when we look at international research as well. Um, but what we're understanding more and more is that there is less focus generally on, on suicide bereavement, which is another really important aspect of suicide prevention. Uh, and the work and kind of research into understanding the broader impacts around suicide bereavement uh, and also raising the profile of its importance it is lagging a little bit behind. And I suppose that's one of the motivations uh, for us in doing this research is, is to um, raise the conversation around suicide bereavement um, and to get a better understanding of, of the broader impacts that um, uh, suicide can have on on, on people um, who knew the person. Just yeah, just to hear about someone you know or knew dying by suicide has an effect on you as an individual. And I guess the closer to them and the closer to their inner circle you were, the, the more profound that effect is. Yeah, absolutely. We know um, that, uh, uh, as you say, the effects of, of suicide are, are most felt by those who knew the person um, closely, so their immediate and extended family. Uh, and that number that you mentioned of six uh, people who, who knew a person who died by suicide is something that research has been guided by for over a number of years. But um, this more recent figure of up to 135 individuals is, has really kind of changed the way that we think around uh, suicide impacts. Um, and I suppose when you think of it as uh, as a kind of a, the ripple effects that a suicide may have, so uh, obviously um, the effects when somebody dies by suicide can be felt by lots of different individuals and communities. So mm -hmm. that person would have come into contact with lots of different people yeah. through work uh, or mm. through social uh, activities, or even as we may realise, um, people may, who may have responded to the death or people who may have cared for the person as part of uh, a professional capacity. So, uh, you know, we really want to make this survey as inclusive as yeah. possible and to hear from as many people and asking people to think about um, their own kind of situation you know, we may not even realise ourselves um, when we hear the word bereavement, we generally think of family members. But sure. uh, I suppose what we're trying to kind of put out there is that um, the effects can be broader and, and, and that we want to hear from everyone regardless of, of what their relationship to a person was. I saw someone talk about this once, uh, Eve, and it's what they compared it to taking a pebble and putting the pebble into the centre of a completely still pond of water just plunk it in and watch the ripples just watch how far out they come so it's, it's, it'd be fascinating to see uh, the, what, what the research shows up I'll bring in Fiona Toomey at this point uh, founder and CEO of Helping Untold Grief Groups HUG uh, for short good morning Fiona good morning PJ you're tying in with this research um, you set up Hug after the death of your daughter, Millie. What do you do? What does Hug do? Well, Hug were, uh, was set up um, in response to uh, 
my own daughter's death and and recognizing that for many others like myself there was no peer support available anywhere in the country um, and this was something that I found quite shocking at the time and peer support essentially is when you are um, in a group with people who have had a same, the same experience as yourself and it's guided by people who are perhaps further along the road um, in their own bereavement. So HUG, which as you said, stands for Healing Untold Grief Groups, um, is a charity which provides peer support groups where all of our volunteers, every single one of them, has lost someone to suicide. And they're trained um, and they facilitate, it's a gentle facilitation. I think the easiest way to describe it, PJ, is we think of ourselves as grief Sherpas. When someone has lost someone to suicide, trying to find your way through it is an incredibly difficult task. But if you come in contact with somebody else who has survived literally emotionally and physically yeah. uh, such a trauma, um, it's hugely hopeful. Yeah. It's a bit like you've got this enormous burden on your shoulders that has been cast upon you by the suicide of a loved one. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. Someone who, to whom this happened four or five years ago can say, look, help me. Let me help you carry this. Is, is that what you exactly. do? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I mean, literally, um, the people who, you know, who come to us, we have groups. We have currently got, you know, 10 groups around the country. Um, and so we have been operating in the virtual world, you know, since the pandemic hit, all of our groups have been over Zoom. And we're going back to the physical world, you know, on, in November, uh, which we're looking forward to. But this has been, uh, you know, it's a lifeline, people say to us, because, you know, when you've lost someone to suicide, trying to find somebody else who's had a similar experience you know, it's very difficult. You don't have the words and you don't have the compass, you know, to find your way around it. And we don't say we're the only support that's out there. I mean, people can, you know, should be able to choose what suits them best. And that's why this survey is so important, is to find out what do people need. Yes. What's uniquely different about work like yours, I guess, Fiona, is that many professionals can... can try to help and the worst thing they can ever say is I know how you feel because they don't but you do yes I mean I think that perhaps you know people um, even your you know close family and friends after a suicide they're usually bewildered as well and people find it very hard to say the word suicide out loud uh, and it's a very fearful word to many people you know there's there's a fear around you know what to say to somebody when they've been bereaved and we say there isn't any magic fix unfortunately we know that uh, there is nothing that is going to make it better there are some things that people can say that can make things a little worse so we say well you know to sit and listen with somebody is perhaps the greatest gift that you can give anyone mm -hmm. you know if you're a good listener just been able to sit there and let the person talk about you know what they have been through because talking it out loud is part of making sense of it and it's a very important part of the grieving process mm -hmm. you're very active in cork i believe yes uh, unfortunately there's a great need for us in cork and yeah. uh, we have a wonderful group there led by two fantastic ladies elaine and, and sandra who obviously have both themselves been bereaved by suicide and they have a absolutely beautiful group and uh, and a very very active group and they'll 
be meeting face to face in November. And we hope to have a second group uh, in Cork uh, in the next couple of months, such as the demand. Mm. How can people get in touch? It's very easy, PJ. You know, if anybody out there thinks that um, we could be of benefit to them, we'd ask them just to go onto our website, which is hugg.ie. And on there, they'll find not only the survey where they can take part, but they'll also see join a group. And they fill in a form and we will call them back and take it from there. Okay. Okay. And go back finally and briefly to Dr. Griffin. When, when will the results of the, the survey be published and what are you hoping they'll, they'll show? Yeah, so uh, we're hoping the survey will run for um, a, a few months. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing really positive uptake already. Last, it's been running for a week and we've had over 700 responses already, which is phenomenal. But we know that there are thousands of people who may consider taking part. So the survey is going to be running up until at least the end of the year. Um, and we'll look at having um, the outcomes in a report probably in, in springtime. I suppose one of the things that we're really hoping um, to, to get out of this is, is to understand people's experiences of, of services and supports that they may have accessed as part of their bereavement. Um, and the findings from that will really help to feed into, I suppose, the kind of national framework and, and the national plans that are happening in terms of improving bereavement supports um, to ensure that services like HUG uh, and other uh, interventions are, in, are, are available um, and that they're designed in an appropriate way um, and that also that the access is, is equitable across the country because we know that's a particular challenge at the moment. So that's one of our kind of key priorities is in terms of kind of informing um, the responses um, and ensuring that services um, available um, are of the highest quality and are, are based on evidence and also based on, on what people say that they need. Mm. Um, and if someone wants to join the loss. survey or participate in the survey, where can they get access to it? So as Fiona said, they can go onto the HUG website, www.hugg.ie, or indeed you can visit the NSRF website as well. And, and there's a link on, on both of the homepages to access the survey. So it's completely online um, and, and it's fully anonymized as well. Okay. All right. Thank you both. Fiona Toomey of HUG and Dr. Eve Griffin from the UCC School of Public Health National School Suicide Research Foundation. If you want to find more about that survey or indeed if you'd like to be part of a HUG group, uh, hugg.ie, www.hugg.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You guys ready? We're driving, we're driving home. The Big Drive Home. Weekdays from 4. On Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure you're with me every evening on The Big Drive Home. Getting you up to date on all things Cork. Bashing out the biggest tunes and a bit of crack. The Cork Squid Game, Dave. What are you putting in? Kiss and torture. Either the kiss or the girl could torture you. How many times do you ask for a torture? A lot more than a kiss. <laughs> I knew it, that's for sure. <laughs> Join me weekdays from 4. The Big Drive Home. With Harvey Norman. Celebrating 18 years in Ireland with their 18th birthday sale. Big birthday savings across their massive range of appliances, technology, furniture and bedding. The Big Drive Home. On Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? 
1850 715 996. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, that's the second tremor. Uh, in Crete in a few days a few days ago there was a man killed and uh, hundreds of buildings damaged 6.3 an undersea quake one would hope against hope we don't see something like a tsunami out there but we'd keep keep an eye to it Uh, just to go back over that statement we got from the council before news to do with Kilmo Road in Nocknahini and those houses they say they are part of the city northwest quarter regeneration, which means it's a public housing project. The contractor is on site. Work is advancing to deliver the 24 units to the required standard. The delivery of construction projects nationwide has been impacted by COVID. The availability of labor and materials, etc. We're working with the contractor to mitigate these impacts, including where appropriate changes to the sequencing of construction work. Please note that amendments to site access, etc., etc., etc. But the work is ongoing at Kilmore Road in Nocknahini. Thank you for that. 1850-715-996. I'll come back to budgetary matters in a while. We've had a, a message in for Minister Michael McGrath. About this time tomorrow, I'll be joining or joined by the Minister on the opinion line, uh, taking some of your questions. You can send them in to me on opinion at 96am.ie or indeed you can WhatsApp voice message us at 083-396-9696. I want to talk to Dr. Neve Lynch about appropriate sports clothing for girls and the issue of clothes in sport. But before I do that, Neve, can I just ask you about the, the, the budget today and the... Uh, changing in GP care for we think now under 7s it'll be free, possibly even under 8s. Now sometimes in the past doctors have been saying, hang on a second you need to talk to us about this because it's not as easy as it sounds. Good morning to you. Hi PJ how's it going? It's nice not to be talking about COVID isn't it? Isn't it great? (laughs) Yeah so the the question of the free GP, GP care, I think it's a very worthwhile idea for sure. Um, I think, you know, we should be working towards universal GP care for everybody. Mm. Um, But currently, I'm not a GP, obviously, but I know a lot of them and I'm released to a few. Um, Currently, GP is in crisis. Um, There are not enough GPs. Um, About, I think, a third of GPs are due to retire in the next few years. Um, And so they're under a huge amount of pressure. Mm-hmm. And so any move in terms of expanding the population that they will provide free GP care to obviously needs to be discussed with them in terms of their capacity. Because, mm. um, you know, if you have, you know, what they would have reported was that the under sixes visits, understandably, went up a lot um, once the once the free GP care came in for that age group and it was a good thing you know it's, it's great for kids under six but it does make them a lot busier and it mm. means that you know it means that people have to wait longer to mm. actually get to see their GP I suppose for a parent I, I worried personally about a, yeah. for a parent worried about a child who isn't well being able to take that child to the doctor without worrying about the cost of it is a huge thing but yeah. like the doctor said that actually you know we're not ready for an influx of youngsters 
No. And to be fair, I mean, most parents, I mean, parents have been amazing throughout the pandemic. They, you know, I mean, you know, parents are generally very, very clued into their children and they don't tend to abuse these services. And it is a great thing that, you know, cost will not be a barrier for them to access GP care. But I think the logistics of it have to be worked out carefully with the GPs because it is a service under a huge amount of pressure. So adding, adding another service, another layer in on top of that will put them under even more pressure. Okay, let's talk about children and clothes and sport. It's a long time bugbear of yours isn't it? Why? <laughs> yeah. Well, it is because I suppose in two areas, so in field sports and in the area of dance and gymnastics. So um, I have daughters, so I've seen them go through all of these different kind of sports, right? And as they've gotten older, I've seen them become, and their friends become increasingly uncomfortable with the clothes that they're having to wear to partake in these sports, Right. So it is it's a personal bugbear of mine. But also, if you step back and look at the statistics in Ireland in terms of overweight and um, childhood children who are living with obesity, um, it affects girls more than it affects boys. And when girls reach the puberty and the teenage years, their level of participation in sports literally drops off a cliff. And we have to look at why that happens, mm. you know. And gymnastics and dance are huge sporting outlets for girls. Now I can understand in gymnastics there's a safety thing, you know, so if they're catapulting through the air and if their clothes got caught in something then obviously that would be very dangerous. Right. So I understand the logic behind the gymnastics to a degree. Mm. But the boys wear shorts and T-shirts, you know, um, and it's the same in dance, you know. So I remember going to a dance concert one time, um, you know, in the dance school where my kids went and sitting in the audience and watching the girls who were maybe a little bit heavier and how excruciatingly uncomfortable they were, like they were folding their arms in front of themselves and just trying to hide. And there's nowhere to hide in a leotard, you know. Mm. Um and, you know, and then the boys were kind of just jumping around in their shorts and T-shirts and it just seemed a little bit unbalanced. And, you know, we need children to be able to move, but be happy in that movement and be comfortable in that in the way that they move. And I just think it's a little bit unfair that at the very time when they are most self-conscious, girls are being asked to squeeze into really skin tight clothing and, uh, where everything is on display. There's nowhere to hide. You That's know? actually the word I was going to use, self-conscious. Like there is... Very little more self-conscious than a 9, 10 or 11-year-old girl whose body is starting to change or may already have started and she's at a dance show and she, you know, she's carrying a few pounds and she's get, trying to get into a leotard. And like you said, the the, the, the lad next to her is just a shorts and T-shirt. Mm. That's not balanced. Mm. No, it's not balanced. And, and it, it, it ultimately, you don't see dancers who are overweight or who are living with obesity and the reason you don't is because either they you know they control their weight very carefully or they give up mm-hmm. and so you, know, you generally don't see on stage dancers who are, are carrying or who are living with a bit of extra weight you know you just don't see it and and that's you know when you so when you look at a, a vista of dancers you don't get the variety of shapes and sizes that you would get if you took a sample of the population mm-hmm. you know so self-selecting and you know in order for girls to be encouraged to continue this sport that they absolutely dance is fantastic and in order for girls to continue that they should be supported and allowed to wear 
you know, the clothing that they feel comfortable in, mm-hmm. you know, and and if, if, their costume, if there are costumes required, you know, let the costumes be a little bit looser. Again, I know safety is an issue. You know, you don't want a dancer getting tangled up in another dancer and all that. But I'm sure there are ways to do it. But it's not just dance and gymnastics. Like another huge thing for me is the field sports, particularly the GAA. I played camogie in the 80s and the 90s and I was in a billowing sack practically. And now the, their, their kit has gotten so tight and... I, I have yet to meet a child who likes wearing skirts. Do you know what skirts are? They're the <laughs> skirts with the shorts inside them, yeah. Yeah. They're the most uncomfortable things, you know, and they just they just hate them. They absolutely hate them. They're allowed to wear shorts in Komogi up until the age of about, I think, until they're uh, 11, 10 or 11, and mm-hmm. then they have to move into the skirts. I have, to, I have to say, watching Komogi, and I enjoy watching Komogi at, you know, at various levels on the television when it's on, I often wondered what the purpose of that damn thing is. Why don't you just let them wear a pair of shorts? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It makes no sense um, at all. But it's... No, it's just a little flap of material, you know, that's supposed to, I don't know, is it supposed to make them look feminine or what? But um, it just, it just bothers girls hugely. Any girls that I've talked to, look, I mean, I might be generalizing, but any child I've asked, um, my own and others, they all say that they dislike the skirt immensely. It makes no, it, and it makes no sense. A pair, a pair of shorts would be, would be just just fine, I think, just as, as someone who likes to watch it. Now, if just on a more serious side, like, obviously, a lot of, lot of kids don't like it. They just pull out and they give up yeah. on a sport they might otherwise enjoy and they get on with lives. But sometimes they can't. And you see the effects of that in, in your surgery. Explain to me what body dysmorphia is and how early it can set in and why. So, um, body dysmorphia is where a child is within a healthy weight range, um, but they believe themselves to be overweight or they, they pick on one particular aspect of their body that they feel does not conform to what it should look like. So, for example, if they don't like their nose or their hands or their feet or something like that, and they become very fixated with how that looks or their lips and I mean like I was I thought I was horrified to hear that teenage girls are actually getting lip fillers now you know um so that's yeah so that's where it starts is this you know and it can start as young as eight or nine um you know because girls in particular but now also boys but girls in particular they're constantly comparing themselves to those around them. And now with the advent of social media, they are being presented with the image of perfection that they are supposed to aspire to. Mm -hmm. And so they're comparing themselves to basically filtered, cropped, photoshopped, unobtainable images. And they are being bombarded with this kind of stuff. And then they look at themselves and they see something that is less than perfection. And as parents, I think we have to be really conscious of what our children are consuming in terms of social media, how our children are being targeted um, and how we can protect them. But there's only so much that we can do as well. You know, so, I mean, I think really there needs to be so much more regulation around, you know, social media and what young children can actually access, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Listen, Neve. Good speaking to you, uh, as always, uh, and uh, points to ponder there. That's Dr. Neve Lynch, construct, consultant pediatrician at the Bonds. Thank you, Neve. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Now, a couple of 
comments coming in on leotards, for example. Totally agree with your call. Uh, why in the GA do girls have to wear skirts or skirts even? It's ridiculous they can't just wear shorts. Kate says there's a big problem with eating disorders among dancers. Why do you hear about it in adults? Parents often don't watch their kids in dance classes for it, for the dangers of an eating disorder. Someone on the phone saying Eurotard and Block, or is it Bioc? Uh, leotards are figure friendly they, they may well be but the point that Neve is making why can't they just let the young kids wear shorts and t-shirts the boys and the girls let them wear shorts and t-shirts as they're doing their where, where, where's the where's the problem 1850 715 right question that came in from this is from, I don't have a name with this, but it's, it's for Minister McGrath. And this is the kind of thing that we'll be putting to Michael McGrath tomorrow when he joins us. Around this time tomorrow, uh, we'll be joined by Minister Michael McGrath, Minister for Public Expenditure, to look at the budget that's being announced today. We have most of it. We've been through most of it this morning. We'll have the full picture by this afternoon. Here's a question for Minister McGrath. My wife and I are both working full time. Qualify for help to buy have approximately 15,000 in savings and can only get mortgage approval for 220,000. Help to buy is only towards brand new builds, yet our budget can only afford our cottage. We don't have the deposit. It's not for lack of trying to get on the property letter. I'm sure he'll push the shared equity as part of the new housing for all agenda. But guess what? That only puts things up to 314,000. Where in the name of God can you buy a new build for that money? We have an eight-year-old son going to school and are happy to commute 30 minutes a day to bring him to and from school. But for our budget, we'd need to move into the depths of West Cork. They're forcing working-class people to rent for their lifetime or bully them into massive mortgages for overpriced housing. It can't be this difficult elsewhere in Europe. No wonder there's an exodus of young talent. We're the fools left here, thinking things will change for the better. Widening the divide of rich and poor is all that they are doing. That's a comment sent in for Minister Michael McGrath, which we'll be happy to bring to him. And your comment also tomorrow, should you wish to do so. Uh, 83 for your WhatsApp voice notes. Opinion at 96fm.ie for your emails. We'll also be speaking on the opinion line tomorrow with Tishuk Michal Martin. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Let's get down, let's get down to business. We're back to the music. The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Just like this. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Just on the budget briefly, Maria, I'll be with you there in about one minute or less. Maria's in Balavalan, has a problem with the water. I'll be with you there just a second, Maria. But uh, we've a love-hate relationship, as you know, with the, the PROC, the People's Republic. Um, I love them. Sometimes they pretend to hate me, but we know they all love me, really. But a rebel on 
the PROC has a post on the budget, which I think is interesting and worth a read. He says, PJ is talking about one in eight living in relative poverty. Well, that's social justice Ireland. In any society, there'll always be people living in poverty relative to the population in general. If Page moved to Monaco tomorrow, he'd be living in relative poverty. Generally in Ireland, people will avoid absolute poverty unless there are mental health or addiction issues at play. There's a fairly robust safety net in terms of income support, children's allowance, rent allowance, working family payment, etc., compared to many other countries, which is another interesting post, if you have any thoughts on it. Thanks for that. Now, let's go to Maria. She's in Ballyvalan. And the water is brown up there in Glenfields, Maria. Is that right? It is. It is, darling. Since last Wednesday, we're living in Glenfields Park, at the top of the park here. And since last Wednesday, the water has been brown. Um, now, I've been on to residents at the bottom, but their water seems to be fine. It's it's clear, it's a bit cloudy, but it's not too bad, it's drinkable. But ours up here at the top of the park, it's, you just can't drink it. You can't shower in it, you can't do nothing with it. It's completely brown. And it, it just started all of a sudden, did it? Um, just last Wednesday, yeah, but we were saying there must be works going on somewhere. There was a bus pipe. Well, that's what we were assuming. Yeah. And like that, we were holding off and like that, um, we put it off and we were waiting. So Wednesday night came, Thursday came, and then we heard that there had been a bus water main down by Balavlan, Dunson Balavlan. We were like, right, that's where the problem was. It'll be resolved. And nothing has been resolved since. It's still brown. Um, I've been on Tigers Water a number of times and all I keep getting is your call um, has been logged. It will be investigated. Someone will be out here. With 24 to 48 hours nobody has come near us that's five six days since last wednesday and still nobody has come near there's a, there's a picture of it which we put up on twitter it looks like a very unappetizing yes. vodka and coke you wouldn't be inclined to you wouldn't be oh inclined it's to lovely drink. isn't it <laughs> but and i think you no and i you know you can't use the washing machine no, the I tell you now, we were laughing. We put on the washing machine last week, and like that, there was a weird kind of noise. We're like, "What in God's name is that?" Because you know yourself, it's it's clothes. We're like, "What is that?" But like, oh my God, the clothes came out; they were brown, and the machine is literally like it's gone. It's it can't be used because the, there was a fella came out and drained the end of the pipe, and he put water into the bottle. And oh my God, above if you see the grit mm. that is in the end of the bottle that has come from the You'll never get it's, that out of the machine. Like, that's what he said. It wouldn't even be worth your while trying to fix it. He said, it's literally... So I'm going like, right, so we've no machine. That's grand. We've no water. We've no showers. Oh, and you're flushing your toilets and, you know, the enamel at the end of the toilet. Yeah. That's just going black. It's oh, it's God. completely black. And you're nearly So I'm like, I want Irish water. And this... Yeah, that's since last Wednesday, and all I keep getting is it'll be inve- it's been investigated. Someone will be with you in twenty four to forty eight hours. Four houses in the same block here now, and nobody has come near us. Not a phone call from Irish Water. There has been nothing, right. and I'm kind of going like something is going to have to be done now because enough is enough. And are you private houses There's or children? Or council tenants? They send council tenants, okay. but we were on to the council, and the council said it's got to do with Irish Water. If once it's coming out of your tap, it's Irish Water's responsibility. Right. But like, there's just nothing, and they just keep telling me my call is logged. I'm like, 
I know it's logged. It's logged since last week, but oh, nobody that's, has that's, come that's, near that's me. Ridiculous. Yeah, we, we it wonder, is. Just wonder if anybody else has it, having that experience with with Irish water. But to be to be nearly a week because it's week tomorrow. It's been nearly a week waiting, and you can't shower. It is. You can't yeah. wash your clothes, and you can't make a cup of coffee. You're you're you're, you're buying bottled water. Right? We're I mean. buying water. Yeah, yeah. We are down a little. Thank God. Thank God is around the corner. But there's bottles and bottles of water because you literally cannot turn on your tap and pour a glass of water. Mm-hmm. You can't use the shower because of the dirt that, as your man said, it'll get caught in the shower head. Yeah. So it's going to end up shower as well. So that's no go zone either. You can't be so filling, like, you can't be filling the bath with bottled water though. Where are you getting a wash? Oh my God, not a chance. Not a chance. Thank God now my nan's house is around the corner. She's down on the main road and we'd pop down there. But I have two boys with special needs oh. and they're very funny. They they want to shower in their own house, you know, because that's Nana's house, that's not their house. Yeah. Um and the one boy would be very peculiar. You know, he has to have his own shampoo and his own. Yeah. He has to have his own things. Yeah. So that's not going down too well at all, at all. So the shower is, has been really cut down for him. And I'm like, you need to shower now. But I'm like, it, it's not. It's just not fair. It really isn't. It's it's not fair. It's gone on long enough now. And what's annoying is you're you're when you're ringing Irish water, it's going. Your call has been logged. But nobody is investigating because nobody has come to the door to investigate it. So I'm like... Oh, hang on, you've not even had anyone to the door? No, no, nobody has come near the door since last week. I'm ringing Irish Water that keeps saying somebody will be out with 24 to 48 hours and I'm waiting and waiting and nobody has come near. It's not even a phone call to say, has your water been resolved? Has there been any improvement? There has been nothing. That's, that's that's not good enough. We've put a, a call in for you to Irish Water to see can we get a statement or a response. Uh, Maria, thanks for your call. Up around uh, Glen Fields in Ballyvalan, a few houses there together. Brown water since last Wednesday. Go to our Twitter and you'll see the picture of it. Uh, that's what's coming out of the taps. That's what's coming out of the showers. What's coming out of the toilet. She can't wash her clothes. They can't shower. She's got two boys with special needs. They don't understand that they can't have a shower in their own shower. And Irish Water, all this thing is the call is logged. We have asked them for a statement. We'll see if we can get one. Thanks, Maria. 1850-715-996. Just on the clothes for girls, uh, Glamity says, Glamity Jane, it's shocking. When I worked in a pub in college, I wore the men's T-shirts. You need to be comfortable. I hated hockey for this reason also in school. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Busy, busy morning on the Opinion Line. Caller from Knocknaheeny in a similar position. Uh, to our last caller, uh, to to um, to Maria, a similar position. It's been going on for eight months. Oh, sweet God! She'll be waiting. In my case, it's not dirty water; it's low pressure. Then it goes back to being dirty. Then the pressure, oh, and, they, and they can't inverted commas trace the fault. It would make you long for the old days when the council dealt with the water because uh, one thing they did do very well back in the day was they dealt with the water quickly and well 1850 715 996 this is breast cancer awareness month 
the month of October. Last week we were talking to a mother of two who told us about her experience being diagnosed with the so-called BRCA gene. This is the gene that makes someone particularly prone to breast cancer. And it happens a lot more than you think. But it also happens to men, which you might not think. Colm Dalton, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you, PJ? Good. I read a statistic last week that was that three and a half thousand women are diagnosed with breast cancer in Ireland every year and about 50 men. But it can happen. What happened to you? Well, um, it was about 15 years ago, PJ, and um, I was on holiday. And what happened was is that my wife noticed a lump just beside my breast, uh, just beside my left nipple. And um, I, I thought it was a mosquito bite um, because where I was. And anyway, it didn't go away. And I went, came back here and uh, came back on my holidays. And basically, I went to the doctor uh, and uh, thinking it was still a cyst or something like that. And... Uh, Lo and behold, when they did an, um, uh, a look at it and they had an exercise it out and stuff like that, it was um, it was a breast, it, it was cancer. And right. it was the BRCA gene. It was, and it well. wasn't troubling you in any way. It was just there. Yeah, it was just there. And I actually thought it was something like a, a blocked duct or something. I, I, I'm not even sure in those days. It was... And um, and I and I went and uh, obviously my GP wasn't happy with what she was feeling uh, around my chest and said, "Listen, you better go and have a look at go into the CUH and, and get them to have a look at it." And it went on from there. So, cancer was discovered, and they say to you, "You have breast cancer." And I assume your immediate response was, "But sure, I'm a man." That's correct. <laughs> I just, I, I just couldn't, you know. Even when I went back, even for the results and stuff like that, they were saying to me, "Is there nobody here with you?" And I said, "No. Uh, why? What's, what's, what's wrong?" And they said, "You've got breast cancer." And uh, I said, "Oh, I could. I just, I, I, I was just an out-of-body experience I had, really. You know, I was saying, you know, what, 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 what is that? I don't. Men don't get breast cancer, and, and, um, and unfortunately, we do." Um, uh, it's just the amount of estrogen that men produce is quite low, so it doesn't tend to trigger off the, um, mm. the, the, the cancer. And I assume that initially you thought, right, well, they'll just deal with this in whatever way they do, but then you discovered you had the, the BRCA gene. What did that lead to? Well, that led, that led, that led to basically, uh, uh, and then started talking to my family about it. My, my, uh, my grandmother died uh, of breast cancer, and then my, uh, my cousin up in Belfast, uh, she, she had uh, the BRCA gene, and it was only discovered uh, just at a conversation. And it was, um, it was the pathology uh, lab in 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 Cork. Basically, they had someone from Boston who was. Uh, who had uh, experience in the BRCA gene, and, and he actually uh, basically kind of narrowed narrowed it down to that. And so that was that was the conversation then. And um, you know, then they had to basically exercise it, take it out, and they had to check the the lymph nodes on on the, on the left side. And um, uh, lucky it hadn't gone into the lymph nodes. It was found very quickly but the fact that I that was susceptible to it um, meant that I had to have the mastectomy on 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 both sides or or, or the, my other uh, way of, of dealing with was then going getting it checked every year mm-hmm. uh, uh, if, to see what was the right side still okay you know mm-hmm. so and that's what I did I ended up getting a full mastectomy wow that's that's kind of traumatic 
Well, for anybody, but it certainly is not something you you hear of it happening to women, but you don't hear of it happening to men. It must have been mentally difficult to deal with, was it, Colin? Yeah, it it, it was. Um, Even even you know, obviously the uh, the breast cancer clinics aren't geared for men. Um, Like going to get your actually your 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 breast squeezed on a on a plate that you don't really have a breast. and then getting getting a an X-ray of it, and then an ultrasound of it, and stuff like that. That way, you know that. And people are sitting looking at you in the breast clinic clinics, you know, saying, you know, what's your deal like, you know? Um. So you know, and then after a while, then yeah, I just got over myself and basically just went every day, and and you know, and then going for the radiation as well, and 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 things like that. So, yep. Um. You know, and. I, I survived it. Fifteen years later, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I was just going to ask how, how are you? How did it, how long did it take you until that great day when the doctor sits you down and said, "Right, Colin, we've we, we've done it. We kicked it." Yep. Um, um, I'd say about uh, about six months to eight months. Um, basically, when they after I did the radiotherapy and uh, I didn't have to go for chemo, luckily enough, because obviously the cancer hadn't gone into my lymph nodes. Um, so um, about eight months. They were fairly confident that it, it, you know, obviously, if you if you take your breast away, you're not going to get breast cancer. Mm. So, but it all also heightens the fact that you know you may have prostate cancer down the down the road, or you may have some other sort sort of cancer. So. You know, uh, I suppose that the good word is, uh, PJ, is to uh, talk about it. You know, if you're not happy with it, especially for men, uh, we don't like to talk about prostate cancer, statistical cancer, and obviously breast cancer was at at a left field for me anyway. I was just going to go there, actually, because this conversation comes up every year when we do our uh, Cork 96M Giving for Living Radiothon, uh, where we focus on cancer for a period of a number of days. We men are notoriously bad at at, at oh. looking into something been wrong Oh, the worst, the worst. And like, like I know, you know, like uh, women, women are great for chatting and, and talking and stuff like that. And, you know, you were talking earlier at the top of the hour about mental health and things like that and the Hug Foundation and stuff, you know, and um, they're, they're so important. They really are. And for men, they just got to get over themselves, say, listen, I'm not feeling right. I don't feel, I'm not sure what that is. And get down to the doctor and get down and talk to him or her or whoever it is. And uh, they'll put you right, you know, mm. and, um, and, and, but it's just getting it and talking and having this conversation with your friends and stuff like that, and your your male friends and stuff, um, you know, and and just getting on with it, you know. Okay, all right. And continue. I wish you continued good health. And thanks for speaking with us on the opinion line. That is Colm Dalton, uh, with a reminder to us that men can get breast cancer too. Just as we continue to mark Breast Cancer Awareness Month, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. We were talking yesterday about that fight up after the match at Wicklow, after the under-15s match in Wicklow and the parents and the mentors and the coaches all getting, st- particularly the parents getting stuck in each other. We had a comment from Pat, which I, I want to read before we finish. But you know what? All the plans to cover the budget and analyse the budget tomorrow, well, could all be thrown into total disarray by a thing called a solar storm which, if it hits us in the worst way it might, could throw out power, could throw down the internet, could wreck communications as we know it for a while. Will it? We don't know. But let's find out first what a global or a a solar storm is. David Moore from Astronomy Ireland joins me. Hi, David. 
Good morning. What is a solar storm and why should we be worried about it? Well, the sun itself is a huge seizing nuclear reactor and there's extremely hot temperatures and densities at the centre of the sun up to about 15 million degrees Celsius and that's the powerhouse. Only about a quarter of the sun's diameter is is seething like that. And the rest of the sun is bubbling up from all the heat below. So you look at the sun's surface with special telescopes. You should never do it with your eyes. You could be blinded. You see that there's these bubbles coming up to the surface all the time. Sometimes the heat from below can be blocked by magnetic fields. The pressure builds up. It blows its top and it ejects billions of tons of particle, radiation particles into space at extremely high speeds. And they hit us about two days later, causing the aurora. But if it's a very strong explosion, they can actually induce electric currents on things on the Earth like pipelines, uh, electricity transmission lines, and, and has in the past blown uh, transformers, plunged cities into darkness, uh, giving them power cuts. And uh, every century or so, a really huge one of these would come along on average, and that could cause major devastation. So we're watching the sun all the time to see when these explosions on the, uh, on the sun are happening, how big they are, and are they headed our way. Now, an awful lot of these things that happen in, in space are predictable to the second or third or fourth decimal point. Are, are these things? Yeah, things like eclipses that are controlled purely by gravity, we can actually predict those very accurately thousands of years into the future and into the past. But these explosions depend on sort of random bubbles coming up from below. And so we can't predict them happening. What we can do is we can monitor the sun, and we now have spacecraft that do this permanently 24-7, and no chance of any clouds blocking the view. And when we see one of these explosions, we get about two days' notice. So uh, people who are in the International Space Station, ultimately people on their way to Mars, will get warning when there's a blast of radiation coming from the sun. And if we see a really huge one coming our way, uh, there was one in 1859 called the Carrington event, uh, and that actually uh, caused early telegraph operators terrible problems. Uh, Some of the wire caught fire, some of their equipment. Uh, Today, we've got a much bigger electrical infrastructure, but we would get two days' notice. But all we can really do is shut some things down and hope for the best. Yeah, do do we know yet how... I mean, it hasn't happened yet, obviously, but it's it's due, we think, what, today or tomorrow. Do we know how big it's going to be? Well, the one that we, we saw a couple of days ago, that wasn't a huge event. It was a, a big explosion, uh, worse than nuclear bombs going off, but all the way over on the sun. For the sun, it's a fairly average uh, explosion, a CME, it's called, a coronal mass ejection. That's when you see part of the sun called the corona have this mm. big explosion on it. And uh, we were hoping it would arrive early last night. In fact, it seems to arrive uh, around about uh, th- uh, 3 a.m. Irish time. So most people were asleep by then. And looking at the weather satellite pictures, it seems probably in the south of the country was actually clear. So if anybody in the Cork area did see it after 3 a.m. and it raged until dawn, uh, do get in touch with Astronomy mm-hmm. Ireland. Uh, we want to know how, how good was it. We can see the satellite images of the radiation affecting the Earth's atmosphere. But, you know, the actual view from the ground is much more mm-hmm. impressive humans anyway. So, so is, it, is, it done now? is it done now, David? I mean, are we, can, we, can we stop worrying about the internet and the phones and stuff like that now? 
Yeah, well, with this one, we never expected any any effect on human-based systems on the ground. It wasn't big enough for that. Uh, but we did expect to be able to see a nice display of the aurora, probably low on the northern horizon. Uh, and I'm saying that it's actually been delayed a little. So there's a chance that it could be seen tonight. So as soon as it gets dark, start looking at the north sky and see what you can see. Uh, we're not sure if it will last that long. They are a bit difficult to predict. Uh, we predicted one, I think it was a week or two weeks ago, and nothing happened at all. It seems that the cloud of debris just sideswiped the earth and missed us. Uh, this one definitely hit us last night. It, the, the, they can go on for 12 to 24 hours sometimes. Mm. That's interesting. Days, now that I mention something, now that you sky. mention it, David, now that you mention it, I got up during the night to have a chat with Mother Nature, as one does. And <laughs> as I looked out the bedroom window, I thought there was a kind of an unusual light. There was a strange well, lightsomeness in the night. Could that have been it? Just face north, that window. Hmm? Uh, words, the sun would be in the opposite direction during the day. Yes, yeah, yeah. well, it was actually, actually a, a, a skylight, a, a Velux could see a strange lightsomeness mm. outside. It's, it's possible that you were saying, if you're facing north, uh, if you don't have many streetlights in, in the north direction, no trees or buildings right. or anything you see down to the horizon, yes, you could, you might have seen it. If you, if you watch it, usually you see a few rays within it. They look like beams pointing up into the sky. Mm. And if you have a camera that can take a long exposure, and a lot of camera phones these days can, can, using the pro pro mode, uh, then you can actually record the aurora better than your eye can see. Must have a look at it later on if it happens again. David, thank you very much. David Moore from Astronomy Ireland. Thankfully, it's not going to knock out the internet. It's not going to keep... Pascal Dunhu or Michael McGrath off their feet today, but you might see some pretty some pretty lights in the sky tonight if it happens again. It's getting a bit cloudier than it was last night. Right, we had this yesterday, and I want to finish with it. We had this yesterday. Uh, we were talking about that awful scene up at the Wicklow match. It was an under 15s match in County Wicklow, and it was after the match, not during the match. It was after the match. Match was over. Refs were being taunted by adults and there was just chaos on the sidelines. And we were talking about it yesterday. But Pat sent this in and I'll kind of leave it with you today. Hi, PJ. Just a couple of things in relation to the Wicklow GA incident. There was a topic on your show. This 100% is driven by the win-at-all-costs mentality that exists today. The one that both the hierarchy and some of the clubs have no interest in fixing, so they've allowed it to fester. Now it's countrywide. There's some very good people involved in clubs. However, there are GA stalwarts that are deemed to be coaches and perceive themselves to be untouchable. Have a look at the clip. Count how many involved had a bib on. Did we ever stop to think about the kids in all of this? Is this what they want to see or experience? The Wicklow incident is just another chapter in all of this, but do we really want to stamp this out once and for all? How can we when it's being condoned at club and county level and let no one tell us that it's not? Why not listen to the kids for a change? It'll be interesting to see if GAHQ will do something now that the situation is getting worse. Accountability and monitoring is key. There are many good clubs that won't tolerate this nonsense, but there are many that it's normal behaviour, as Paddy, the old club stalwart that has played for years, can't be touched. It's in, he's invisible and untouchable. 
in the club's eyes. It should be played in the eyes of kids and not in the eyes of Paddy the Great. Plus, parents have a role to play too. Let us not forget that, Pat. Thank you, PJ, says Pat. And the thing about that video, it came into, as I said, my WhatsApp over the weekend. It was all adults. There was none of the under-15s involved in the shenanigans up there. It was all the adults that were supposed to be mentors to them and supposed to be role models to them. So if you're looking at a bunch of 14 to 15-year-old kids there having played a match and their parents and their coaches are slugging it out on the sideline because someone doesn't like what happened, that's not a very good message that we're sending out to to the youth of today. Right, that's it. Uh, We have got tomorrow on the programme Taoiseach Micheál Martin and Minister for Public Enterprise, or Public Expenditure rather, Michael McGrath, and we can put your questions or your observations to them of today's budget. So what you need to do is get your observations in. As soon as you'll see, it's all played out now. It's in the newspapers. We've been reporting on it all morning, speculating what's there and what's not there. We know pretty much what is there. But once the speeches are made and once everything is published, your observations would be very welcome. Opinion at 96fm.ie is the email. And the WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. What would be great and what we would love is you could drop us a WhatsApp message to 0833969696 oh by the way just lastly with regard to astronomy Ireland David wanted me to mention that they're having an 8 week long journey into space with astronomy for beginners their evening classes you got to book in advance you make those bookings online at www.astronomy.ie and I think that's it it's been a busy one the programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry back tomorrow morning to look at the budget and plenty more just after nine. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.